welcome to the Teacher's Lounge podcast. On today's show, we've got Dr. Lynn Gangon. Did I say your last name correctly? You did. Awesome. She is the president and CEO of the American Association of Colleges for Teacher Education. So Lynn, I was hoping you could start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your organization. Great. Well, thanks, Carly, for inviting me to speak with you today. Um, I am a lifelong educator. Um, I have served in colleges, universities. I have served um, in doing academic policy and policy analysis, have worked with state legislatures. I have kind of an eclectic career in higher education, if you will. I've been at AACTE since 2017. Um, we're coming up on our 75th anniversary. We were founded in 1948 to represent the colleges of education and programs of teacher education around the country that prepare our nation's um, teachers, guidance counselors, principals, superintendents for the public schools. I think it's really great that you have that viewpoint on a national level. We've been really looking at the state of the teaching profession in Idaho, but I love that you can widen out that lens for us a little bit. So I know that at the end of August, you met with the First Lady, the Education Secretary, the Labor Secretary, and others to talk about solving school staffing shortages. So can you tell us a little bit about that meeting and what was discussed? Absolutely. So the purpose of the meeting was to highlight the school um, teaching shortages around the country. Um, we know that those shortages vary um, based on region. A report recently came out, um, actually it came out yesterday, that showed that the shortages in teachers is actually predominantly in the Southeast. Um, it's across the country. It's always been in various segments of the teacher population. So for example, we've historically had a shortage in special educators, in those who teach English as a second language and in STEM, which is essentially your um, math and science disciplines, right? So these are not new shortages. Um, however, there is a sense that following the pandemic that there is a heightened awareness, if you will, of the number of teachers who are leaving the profession and the few individuals who are going into the profession. And so the White House meeting with Dr. Joe Biden, uh, First Lady Biden, was to highlight a particular approach to recruiting and retaining teacher candidates, which is to have teaching as a licensed apprenticeship, uh, which means that like many other professions that have um, been apprenticeable, if you will, I'm not even sure if that's a word, but you understand what I mean, um, that we can actually use Department of Labor funds to support teacher candidates while they are pursuing their degrees. You know, one of the things that we know, for example, is that compared to their peers who don't go into teaching, upon graduation, teachers would earn at least 20% or more less 
um, than their non-education counterparts, right? So pay is an issue, prestige is an issue. And so what happens is when students pursue a teaching degree at the undergraduate level, they often are less competitive in terms of being able to pay back student loans um, and to get, you know, to have a livable wage, if you will. Um, so the apprenticeship allows for Department of Labor funds to support teacher candidates, everything from um, supporting them with living expenses to supporting them in what we would call their clinical experience where they would be serving for a full year with a mentor teacher. You know, many undergraduate students these days uh, are working and going to school. Many of them go to school part-time. You know, this idea that the average 18 to 22 year old who goes off from high school to college and lives in a residence hall, that's a very small percentage of the population. So oftentimes, when we ask a teacher candidate to give up a full year to be in the classroom with the mentor teacher, we're also asking them to give up outside employment that helps pay for tuition and other things. And so the apprenticeship dollars actually help frame those costs and allow for that experience. Um, it's an AACTE member institution, Austin P University in Tennessee that actually started this apprenticeship work with the Clarksville Montgomery School District in Tennessee. And now the Department of Labor and Department of Education see this as a, a point of optimism, if you will, that we can help encourage more individuals to be teachers if we help defray the cost of what it takes to become a teacher. And that was the focus at the White House. You brought up a number of really interesting points here, so I want to go back and talk about some of these. Mm -hmm. One of the issues we're seeing in Idaho is that districts are just in a hiring crunch, and so they're hiring teachers on an emergency authorization who have not yet finished their formal training, and usually what that means is they've taken all the classes, but instead of student teaching and getting that apprenticeship time, they're going straight into the classroom. And our College of Education professors are telling me that means that they're not quite ready, so they're more likely to be overwhelmed, they're more likely to get burned out, and they're more likely to leave the profession rather than stick with it. So part of the reason that students are tempted to leave the program early is that they're offered a job and they do get this opportunity to make a salary for a year instead of be living as a student and paying tuition. So the program that you mentioned could help with that because it sounds like they would be making some money while they're Correct. student teaching. Correct. Um, and I also thought that the living expenses was really interesting because housing prices are going up around the country, as we know, and that's putting teachers in a really hard spot, especially in certain areas where housing has really increased. So for example, we had a story in Idaho Education News recently about the Blaine County School District, which is in areas like Sun Valley, Haley, mm -hmm. Ketchum. And their district is actually looking to create housing for teachers because 
Honestly, they have homeless teachers there who are living in RVs and camping because they can't afford housing. So it sounds like the program you're talking about could be really helpful. So when are those funds gonna be in available or when will we see this program in action? So funds are currently available. There are some states actually that have pursued um, Department of Labor funds. It's a, it's a bit of a complicated process, but there are experts out there, including expert, experts, excuse me, at AACTE that can help. Um, so there are several states, uh, West Virginia, Tennessee. I know recently Colorado, the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs now has a Department of Labor apprenticeship program. So there are various states that are working to pursue this. It's a combat. So essentially the Department of Labor releases funds to each state. And so then the state has to designate those Department of Labor funds to the apprenticeship program. And so, you know, I would encourage officials in, in Idaho to, to look at how to pursue that. There are models out there from other states that have already implemented this. One potential problem is, while it could keep candidates from being tempted to leave their program early, it doesn't necessarily help districts who just need a teacher in that classroom. So what about that side of things? Well, you know, the, the piece around a district just needing a teacher inside of a classroom is pretty complicated. Again, we see that some geographic areas do have enough teachers to meet their ed local education needs. Others do not. You referenced how there are times when we put what we would consider uh, someone in the classroom who's not fully qualified. You know, I often say, you know, you don't want to have a nurse who's left her or his um, education early and hasn't had that clinical experience, right? to actually work with you as a healthcare provider. We often forget, excuse me, we often forget that teachers are professionals who also need that clinical experience. Um, we actually have some states around the country, Carly, where you don't even need a bachelor's degree to be a teacher in a classroom. Um, you know, you're in Idaho, I, I'm in Colorado, just to the south of us, Arizona. Um, does not require a bachelor's degree for a teacher to be in the classroom. We're very empathetic and sympathetic with local districts. As a matter of fact, um, we actually are working with the organization that represents school personnel around the country. Uh, they are doing, it's the American Association of School Personnel Administrators. So they do work with HR leaders in school districts. And we have been working with them. Uh, we'll be having a second national gathering on the teacher shortage. So there's an awareness of this problem. There are strategies to assist with the work. You know, the partnerships with your colleges and universities, in my opinion, are critical. Um, you also, you know, we have programs, for example, across the country where paraprofessionals, right? Individuals who are already in the classroom, already working with children, adults, um, we have programs where they can actually work with the College of Education to receive their teaching degree. You know, there are different solutions and strategies that are out there. It's just a matter of how do we create those relationships between universities and colleges and the local school district 
to make sure that we are putting the best possible person in a classroom with the understanding that there is this shortage. Backing up a little bit, you said that some states don't require a bachelor's degree for their teachers. And I was talking to an Idaho school district a few weeks ago or at the beginning of the school year, and they're actually in a position where they're having to hire teachers who don't yet have a bachelor's. They might have just an associate's degree, but the catch is that that individual has to finish the, the credits to get to a bachelor's by the end of their first year. But mm-hmm. we are seeing things like that in Idaho as well. But the solution you mentioned where you can do a kind of grow your own program where you're setting parapros up with a scholarship. We do have a university here in Pocatello, Idaho State University, that just initiated that strategy. And this year they saw more than 35 paraprofessionals enter their teaching program. So that was definitely a highlight and a positive solution. So something else you said earlier was that teachers aren't paid enough compared to their peers who go into other professions, but also that they don't have the prestige in the profession. And I thought that was really interesting. Somebody I talked to recently from a college of education was saying that the profession is no longer attracting the best and the brightest because the state has been lowering the bar for who can become a teacher. So talk to me a little bit about that prestige factor. How does that draw people in? and how can we keep teaching as a prestigious career? So I first want to just say that this decrease in interest in teaching as a profession actually began in the late 70s, early 80s. One of the things that people forget about Carly is that, you know, teaching has always been predominantly a female profession. And so in the late 70s and early 80s, as more career options opened up for women, Right. What we see, you know, AACTE does a study every two years called Colleges of Education and National Portrait. And we look at the trends in student enrollment. And what we've seen is that women are pursuing undergraduate degrees in business, right, as opposed to teaching. So, you know, the first decrease that we saw was when women became interested in other fields and other fields were open to them. Um, Since then, we have seen this decrease in interest in teaching. Uh, We are the only undergraduate major, Carly, that has decreased while every other major undergraduate major has increased. We've decreased nearly 50%. So it's significant. The the pay, the prestige, uh, this notion that anyone can be a teacher is challenging. I think that there are times when well-intended individuals believe that just because they've been through an educational experience that they know about the field of education. You know, I will often say, you know, just because I live in a house doesn't mean you want me to build you one, right? So there's this way that we think education is something that is easily taught, if you will, but there's a science behind it. There's research behind it. And, and so part of what we need to do as a nation is to respect teachers and not just think that, well, you know, that old adage, if you can't do, teach. That diminishes the profession significantly. Uh, we do need, you know, there was this one report where I read something along the lines of, you know, R-E-S-P-E-C-T is not just a refrain from Aretha Franklin's song. You know, we do need to respect our educators. 
So I believe that that will go a long way. One of the things I said after the White House visit is that I thought that the fact that the White House was placing primacy on teachers and on the teacher shortage was a way of elevating respect for the profession. And I was pleased to see that. It created a sense of optimism for me. And you just talked about Idaho State having that program for paraprofessionals. You know, we're seeing colleges of education around the country looking at innovative ways to address the shortage and to support the notion that teaching is a professional field to be respected. There was just an article yesterday in a publication called Inside Higher Education where one of AACTE's member institutions, Rowan University, their dean, Gaetan Jean-Marie, does a pinning ceremony um, for future teacher candidates, that there are these ways that we are working to symbolically um, also acknowledge that this is a profession worth entering. I think the history that you provided on the teaching profession and bringing in the fact that it's been predominantly female is really interesting. We know that there are gender pay gaps and it's made me wonder whether or to what degree the issues in teaching, a lack of respect, prestige, and high pay could have sexism at its root. Do you think there's anything to that? You know, as someone who spent a good part of her career looking at gender equity and gender parity across all professions, um, we actually, there was a study that was done by the something called the White House Project and also then followed up with by Colorado Women's College, which is benchmarking women's leadership in the United States. And we saw that across the board, women earn less in every single profession, including education, than men. And so I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the gendered nature of teaching, I do believe has some impact on pay and prestige. Okay. Something else that you said earlier was that shortages have been a problem for a long time in teaching. What's different is a heightened awareness that came because of the pandemic. Yes. Why, why did the pandemic heighten our awareness of the shortage? Well, I think there were a couple of reasons. I mean, the first is that the pandemic, I, I believe the pandemic placed a spotlight on K-12 education and on teaching initially because we shut down. And parents who perhaps didn't always, parents, the society didn't always appreciate the role of teachers in our society went, oh my God, this is a lot of work. How do I teach my child? What about, you know, my child's emotional needs, my child's developmental needs? You know, we send children off for a good six to eight hours a day, and there's a huge impact that those teachers have on those students. So initially in the pandemic, everyone created a level, I think, of heroism for teachers. Since then, we've, we've done a bit of a 180. We've started to, in some ways, um, really question teachers. We've started to introduce legislation around the country to monitor their behavior in the classroom. So we've done an interesting 180. And between the pandemic and the, the health challenges that the pandemic created, um, as well as I think what's happening now across the country in state legislatures, around questioning what teachers are teaching in the classroom, 
you're seeing more teachers say, you know, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, so if you combine that, if you combine with anticipated increased resignations with the continued lack of interest in the profession, then you have, you know, to use that old phrase, a perfect storm. And I do believe that's where we are right now. It's kind of depressing when you hear all these you know, facts and insight and perspectives on the state of the teaching profession, it seems like it's in a really hard spot. It's like a crux moment. So that can be heavy, you know, for people to hear about, whether it's parents, politicians, teachers, etc. So what is, what is the hope? What is going to keep people in this? What can we look forward to? Or how can we have that sense of op- optimism? I do believe that we will come out of this. I truly do. I mean, I wouldn't do the work that I do right now if I didn't believe that there was hope. I believe that in times of crises, it pushes all of us to think differently about the work. And so the ways in which I see our deans of education and colleges of education and programs of teacher education looking at different ways to bring different people into the work. You know, I'll I'll give you an example. A friend of mine was married, uh, is married still, excuse me, to a man who has a PhD in economics. And he got tired of working where he worked and he retrofitted his career. He became a social studies teacher and a coach. And it was the joy of his life. I do believe that there are a lot of adults out there who believe that they can add value to the classroom. There's another story I have about another man who was my realtor when I was living in Washington, DC, who now posts on Facebook, he's become a teacher. So I do think that perhaps it isn't always in the traditional age groups that we need to look for future teachers, although we should still look there, but also we need to think about what are the adults out there? I I mean, I will say, you know, for example, in the state of Florida, there's an effort right now to bring veterans into teaching. There always has been. I mean, there's always been a a way in which there's been alignment between service, right, with the military profession and the teaching profession. Now, the Florida bill isn't great. You know, I mean, they are putting veterans into the classroom, don't have all of the experience to be a teacher. But like you said, in, in the school district you talked about, Idaho, those veterans do need to be enrolled in a program to complete teaching credential, right? So I think at this point, I don't know that we should ever compromise, but I do think that we need to be able to look at what are some innovative solutions. And I know because I talk to teachers and I read the stories that there's many teachers who absolutely love what they do. And we also need to hold on to that. We need to hold on to the ways in which many teachers are filled with such joy. But I do think we need to say to ourselves, are children in this country important enough for us to invest in education, for us to pay the taxes that it takes, for us to do the kinds of things to be engaged in our local communities to support our teachers? It's important. I believe education is the foundation of the United States democracy. And I am hopeful that we will come out of this ahead of the game. You mentioned appealing to non-traditional candidates, and we've seen a lot of universities in Idaho go that route. 
It used to just be, you know, a student would enter college at age 18, get their bachelor's, go into teaching. But it's not necessarily that way anymore. Somebody might get a bachelor's and do one field for a while and then decide to teach. So I've seen colleges of education in Idaho be respondent to that as much as they can by yes. adding things like a master's program that would yes. allow them to transition into teaching and things like that. And colleges of education here have also talked about induction programs where when their students enter schools, they try to really be there as a support for them for another yes. one or two years, because those can be the most stressful years where they're building everything from scratch, everything's new. You know, back in the day, it used to be a school would hire you, they'd give you the keys to your classroom and that was it. So they're trying to make it a more robust onboarding experience and hoping that that will help as well. You know, I absolutely agree with everything you've just said, and you have a very strong sense of what the profession is doing right now. We do need to look at what I would call those less traditional, non-traditional, post-traditional um, candidates. Uh, I think that colleges of education are working very hard to not only look in terms of master's programs, uh, and what we would call not, we would call higher education alternative certification, but also to look at relationships with community colleges. Community colleges that tend to enroll older students tend to enroll uh, more uh, students from a racial and ethnic diversity, a socioeconomic diversity. So we're seeing across the country a number of partnerships between community colleges and four-year institutions to continue to um, seek that less traditional candidate. The other thing we're seeing in some states around the country, particularly in more rural states, for instance, like Nevada, is that we see community colleges actually offering the bachelor's degree in teacher education. And, and so there are all of these efforts out there to look at the profession and recruiting into the profession differently. You mentioned induction, those first three years are the most challenging. And yes, the partnerships that exist between local school districts and those colleges of education that graduate those students are very important. You know, the other thing I will say is this, and again, I don't think people talk about what I'm about to say a lot. Career has changed. So back, you know, maybe 10 to 20 years ago, someone would move into teaching and stay in teaching as a profession. Now, students, particularly those who are traditional age, don't see a lifelong commitment to one particular job or one particular career, right? So they may go into teaching for five to seven years and then perhaps decide to go into educational policy or perhaps go into an ed educational technology firm, right? They're still in education, but they're not a teacher. And so I do think that we also have to take into account that how individuals view their time in the workforce and their careers is very different in these most recent generations than they were perhaps even for my baby boomer generation. You make some good points there. So first of all, with the community colleges, a major benefit there, as you mentioned, is increasing the diversity of teachers. Because I think students are more inspired to become a teacher when they see somebody like them in the profession. Yes. I interviewed a woman recently who 
was a Spanish speaker in a community that didn't have a lot of Spanish speakers and she felt really left out until she got to fourth grade and she had a teacher like her who spoke Spanish. And that was the moment where she said, I'm gonna be a teacher too. And she did end up being a teacher, which is really cool. So mm -hmm. I think that's an important element. They've gotta see themselves in the profession. And then the other thing you talked about is also really interesting, like this social sea change, because I do think that in prior generations, you got a job, you stayed with it for 30 plus years, and you retired in that career period. And today, people are more likely to have a variety or a handful of careers within their lifetime. So maybe we've got to think about, okay, if teachers are just going to teach for a little bit, how can we at least keep them in education and, you know, foster that person to become a principal or a curriculum designer or something like that? So they're still contributing to the field, but in a different way. You know, another point I'd like to make as you talk about teaching, you know, as a workforce issue is there's a, a, a you know, again, looking to the to south of both of us at Arizona State University, there's a program called the Next Education Workforce. And if we take a step back and think about one teacher in a classroom of potentially 30 or more students, many of whom who speak multiple languages, many of whom come from different kinds of demographic backgrounds, how does one teacher meet the needs of all of those students? So what Arizona State University and others are doing right now is they're saying in the same way that say if, you know, I had my knee replaced and I was in the hospital and I had a surgeon, I had a, another doctor who perhaps, you know, maybe one surgeon installed the knee and the other doctor sewed it up. I have nurses. I have occupational therapists, I have physical therapists, right? There's a team that supports my healing. In the same way, if we look at teaching in a team perspective, not that there's a team in the classroom, but we build a workforce where there's maybe two teachers, there's the school counselor, the school nurse, maybe there's a couple of parents who are community educators, there's the assistant principal and they function as a team. It creates more capacity for that teacher to have more breadth and depth to serve those 30 some odd students. So part of what we're looking at in the profession is teaching as a workforce issue. And how do we change the workforce that the teacher enters into and make it more palatable and easier to navigate? It's a lot of responsibility on one person. Yeah, you bring up a good point there, and that's a good segue into another question I wanted to ask you, was about how to resolve not just teacher staffing issues, but school staffing issues. Because in Idaho, for example, we're experiencing a major shortage of paraprofessionals. And mm -hmm. these individuals are absolutely essential to Idaho students and Idaho teachers. They provide that help and that team assistance that you mentioned. And usually they're especially needed for those populations that need the most help, your special needs students, your English language learners. Mm -hmm. So have you heard anything about those support positions and how we can better recruit and retain those individuals? Well, here's what I do know. You're absolutely right. The shortages are across the board. 
There are shortages of school counselors, shortages of school nurses, shortages of bus drivers, shortages of paraprofessionals. Um, how to address that? You know, I, I am not as familiar with that as I am with the teaching profession. I would imagine that a lot of my colleagues in school counseling and and school nursing are employing some of the same strategies that we are in teaching. You know, you also have to remember that when we have a shortage in teachers, we then have a shortage in principals. And when they have a short, you know, it's a it's a continuum of career that we're seeing across the board is being challenged. I do think you get back still to pay and prestige, even for some of these counselor positions, nursing positions, paraprofessional positions. We have to create the sense in this country that K to 12 education is a critical part of our society. And until we're able to create that sense of urgency that our children matter and that their education matters, we may still see some of these shortages. I, I don't have I don't have the magic wand to wave to say this is how we solve it. But I do think that attitudinally, if we can start to create more sense of respect and optimism, then we may see some changes. Well, thanks for your insight and perspective. I really appreciate the national overview of how this situation is going. I love the idea of looking at other states for ideas. So thank you for your thoughts. Is there anything else that you want to add or that you feel like we missed? There isn't. I, I do want to just close with saying I do believe uh, we need to be both realistic and optimistic. There is a daunting challenge before us. And I believe very much in the American dream, the American resiliency, the American, you know, if we've got a challenge, we're gonna step up and we're going to fix it. I, I'm glad there's a sense of urgency now. And I hope that, you know, you and others join me in thinking about let's get this fixed and let's take care of our children. Well, thanks Lynn for your time. We really appreciate you having this conversation with us today. Thank you, Carly. I appreciate the invitation very much. Thank you again to Lynn Gangone for joining us from the AACTE. And don't forget to go to IdahoEducationNews.org to see all of our latest and take a look at our series that ran this week about the state of the teaching profession. Thanks for listening.